Welcome to the Jesus and Everybody podcast, the show where we talk to everybody about the intersection of Jesus and their life story. My name is Andrew Ironside, and thank you for tuning into the episode today. One of the most formative experiences of my life was the time I spent volunteering at Light Patrol. Light Patrol is a program of Youth Unlimited and serves the homeless youth of Toronto by going around on a mobile RV at night, handing out food, sleeping bags, and inviting the youth to come on board for a place of peace and of refuge in their day. At Light Patrol, I also met my wife, Stephanie, and I also met some incredible volunteers with a heart to serve other people. One of those volunteers is our guest today, Hannah Samos. I'm so excited for Hannah to be here, for her to share some of her story. As you'll hear, her faith in God, her love for people to serve those who are hurting is remarkable. The way she speaks reminds us of God's heart for serving the broken and experiencing God in the midst of this suffering and pain. Hannah shares humbly and honestly with great love her own story, some of her own places of darkness that have in turn led her to be able to serve and care for others. Hannah brings a wealth of wisdom, of strength, of passion, and I'm excited for you to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, as part of the Jesus and Everybody podcast, this is Hannah Samos. Welcome, Hannah, to the Jesus and Everybody podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. And as Stephanie and I were talking about who would be a perfect fit to start off with our first few episodes, your name was one that came to mind. Your faith, the way that you serve other people, is so inspiring to me and so many others. And I'm excited that people get to hear a little bit of your story today. So thanks for being on the Jesus and Everybody podcast. Mm, it's a it's a privilege, and it's really um, exciting to be here too, Andrew. And I'm I'm humbled by your words, and so thank you. I feel the same actually about you. Well, thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll just jump right in if that's okay. As yeah. you know, this this podcast was created so that we could give people a space to share about the intersection of Jesus and their life story. So why don't you start by sharing about your upbringing and where you would say your story first intersected with Jesus. Okay, Andrew. Um, So I'm a first-generation Canadian. My parents' background is Danish. So my parents were part of the Lutheran Church, which Denmark primarily is a Lutheran church, and it's it's actually state-run. There's no offering plate. You pay taxes if you want to participate in the church, hmm. and they still do that to this day. And so people would pay their taxes and still do so that they could be able to have their baby um, christened in the church, do the rites of confirmation, weddings, funerals, etc. And so that's really what my parents knew. Uh, I think they would have identified themselves as Christians until they lost their firstborn baby. She died when she was 24 hours old and my father walked away from his faith. Mm. They moved to Pakistan and then they moved to Canada. And honestly, I see God's sovereign hand over my family. I have, I'm looking at it right now. I have an old Danish Bible that belonged to my great-grandparents. And I come from a family of solid faith, but my parents had sort of moved away from that, uh, where the Bible was a part of their life, where it was just the rituals of the Christian faith that they adhered to. And then my father, you know, 
walking away from his faith. But God had his hand over my um, father and he came to faith when he came to Canada and he did like the full turnaround, uh, passionate for, for Jesus. And so I was born shortly thereafter. So I was raised in a Christian home where Sundays you went to church, you said grace at every meal, albeit it was a, a rote prayer we said. And I saw my parents actively involved in the church. And so I would say that I could never remember a time where I didn't know about Jesus. And actually, I don't remember a time where I didn't love Jesus. I certainly remember times where I didn't follow Jesus or where I would say he was Lord of my life. And I would say that the turning point for me where Jesus became real was when I was a teenager. And, you know, I had been the good little girl. But as a teenager, I started uh, growing up in the 70s, started getting into the cultural stuff and the temptations and the peer pressure that comes with being a teenager. And certainly that was, you know, very um, much the 70s. That was the age where people were, that generation was starting sort of to discover new freedoms and new morality and um, also just being a teenager and not getting along with particularly my mother very well. And she was going through that change of life. So she was difficult. I was difficult because my hormones were raging, my poor father. But there was one time where we were up at the cottage, uh, just my mother and I, I think I was 16. Oh, and I should mention that after a very, very bad bout with mono uh, after the end of grade nine, which had me pretty much bedridden for a few months and in and out of doctor's offices and really, really sick. It it sort of triggered, I think it triggered a, a major depression, mm. which I went through for two years where it was constant suicide thoughts. And do- my mother had me to the doctor. So trying to medicate me, uh, a lot of self-medication, It was a really, really dark, dark time for me. And then one night my mother had just had enough of me and told me to get out of the cottage. The cottage is your typical cottage in the Muskokas where at nighttime it's total darkness outside unless there's stars and moons in the sky. sky. And I went down to a rock by the water and I really had come to the end of myself. And that's the first time I think I really cried out to God in my desperation, right? More than just a just a rote prayer. It was like, I'm not doing okay, God, and I need help. Mm. And I felt this warmth, like an embrace of warmth around me, an assurance of God's presence like I had never felt before. And I sensed the Lord was saying that it would be all right. And he was here with me and now to go home to my mother, back to the cottage. So I went back to the cottage. My mother let me in and we hugged and embraced and cried. I wouldn't say that it was a turning point that I started to, you know, live, live the moral life and, you know, was the perfect teenager. No, I still was in my depression. I was still flirting with things I shouldn't have been flirting with. 
but I knew who Jesus was to me. And I was also aware of him, actually, when I was doing those things that, that I knew I shouldn't be doing because I was still going to church. I had done the two years of confirmation class um, that is, is, is part of the Lutheran requirement where you go once a week. So I knew my, I knew the basics of the Bible and I knew the, the, the requirements, what God required of me, but yeah, I was, I was in a rebellious phase, but still loving Jesus. And honestly, I think it was God's hand over me that protected me from not actually taking my life because Mm. it, it was really, really dark. And, um, but then at the end of high school, at the end of grade 12, I remember standing out in the driveway uh, of our house and it was a summer day and thinking, I don't want to live like this anymore and I don't have to. And it was like the cloud of darkness just lifted off of me. It was a healing. Now, I know for people struggling with mental health, because I have family members with it, it doesn't always work that way. But for me, it mm-hmm. was like the cloud of darkness lifted off of off of me. And I honestly believe that had to have been somebody was praying for me. So mm-hmm. that was in my early life. Mm-hmm. Who, who would be praying for you when you say that? Were there people that you know of that did spend time praying for you in your in those years? Well, I'm quite sure my mother and father must have been praying for me. They must have been beside myself because they knew I wasn't. They knew I was in a deep depression, and my mother would try and console me, and she would say, "Look at everything you have. You you shouldn't be feeling like that." And it, that, I mean, that wasn't those weren't helpful words to me because I couldn't explain why I was feeling the way I was. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know who else, but I just, well, I, I actually, the, the pastor who was my pastor through my teenage years was a man of prayer. So I would suspect he might have been praying for me too. Mm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it's interesting, as I was sharing in the introduction, that you and I met each other volunteering at Light Patrol, which is the, the mobile mm-hmm. outreach for homeless youth. And I, mm-hmm. I had never heard that part of your story because that, that actually brought mm-hmm. to mind right away many of those youth who, mm-hmm. in their own words, have mm-hmm. said they feel hopeless and helpless and at mm-hmm. the end of their road. Mm-hmm. And dar- that word of d- being in darkness. I, I literally remember being at one point sitting next to a young man. Those were his exact words. He said, I just feel like the darkness is all encompassing me and I can't get out. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that I, I did want to talk about Light Patrol, so maybe this is a good segue into it. Uh, was yeah, that a part of your desire to serve youth? Well, what you said just now, Andrew, uh, triggered something in me that to this day, I think, I mean, yes, I I did sin against God in, a te- in, the, in the choices I made through those years, and I repented and asked for forgiveness. But I don't regret that period of darkness. And even though I made some really bad choices, I I knew God loved me and I know of God's love to me to this day. And I think it formed who I was, who I am today. And I think that God actually used that, Andrew, when serving in Light Patrol because, because I could serve with humility because I understood Mm-hmm. Um, the darkness. I understood about making bad choices. I understood about family family struggles and all those things. Um, whereas if I'd had the model um, 
teenage life, the perfect life, or well, there is no such thing, but you know what I'm saying. I'm not so sure I would be able to empathize as much. But to your point, I lived in, in suburban Mississauga in a very comfortable neighborhood, uh, oblivious to downtown Toronto, somewhat fearful of Toronto whenever I would come because I would see the homeless and I wouldn't understand it. But on those cold winter nights, getting into my bed in my little bungalow in the suburbs, I would be praying for the people because it was very much in the news in those days. That was when homelessness really, when people were freezing to death, Andrew, you know, in downtown Toronto. And just, I think already then God had put it in my heart about the homeless. And so when I moved to Toronto in an even bigger way, and I I knew about Tim Huff because he had started to attend the church I was attending in Oakville, so I knew about Light Patrol. So I knew right away that that was a um, a place where I could serve God and and wanted to. Mm. And for those listening that have heard a little bit about Light Patrol but may not know too many details, can you just explain the work that's being done? Sure. Um, and fill in the gaps, Andrew, because you, you, you were probably, I mean, when I arrived on the scene of Light Patrol, you had already been volunteering for some time. But basically, Light Patrol is part of Youth Unlimited and, and because it's very hard to have the youth come to a, a place. I also volunteer at Out of the Cold, but that's primarily homeless and uh, people that are marginalized that are of an older population and very rarely do we see any of the homeless youth. So I, I like how light patrol goes to the youth, uh, seeks out the places where they are, brings the RV there, uh, provides uh, a warm food, something, takeaway sandwiches, sometimes clothing, and also just a place to, to, to come in, get warm and talk and check in with these youth. And, and then even when I was there, it it also had like a, a, almost like a mentorship program where, where people could follow through with the youth and and help them Mm -hmm. um, walk alongside them individually. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I learned a lot that that was one of the most formative times in my life and in my faith. Um, I remember Mm -hmm where I would, we'd finish praying on any number of nights. Sorry, we'd finish the program. And then we'd spend Mm -hmm. some time praying as a team Mm -hmm. about what Mm -hmm. we had experienced and the stories of the youth. And I remember Mm -hmm. being, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, being there. And I was like, how do you pray now? Like, what what do you pray after Mm -hmm. a youth who's just shared that they're suicidal or high or left home or hopeless hurt Mm -hmm. in some way and they're going back into the cold night you know yes they got some food and and i hope we prayed for a a place of reprieve of peace for even a few minutes but then what do you pray as they leave the rv right and i that was very Mm -hmm. hard for me but also very formative in my prayers because my prayers became very honest and real to say god like what yeah <laughs> you got to show up here like this is hard like what are we supposed to do yeah. um and i wanted to mm-hmm. ask you know do you have a comment on that how how did 
How was your prayer life shaped by your work with youth on the streets? Yeah, I definitely, I would agree. I mean, when I used to pray back in the suburbs in my bed at night because there was a snowstorm or it was a cold, extreme cold alert, I, I had no faces to put those prayers to. But when I moved to the city and began to serve at Light Patrol, as well as out of the cold, I could put my put names to these faces. And though sometimes I wouldn't know how to pray for them, I could still lift their names to the Lord. And I think of where Paul talks in, in the book of Romans about how the spirit groans for us when we don't know how to pray. And, and so I, oftentimes that's how I would pray. And Andrew, I, I, I don't know if I shared this with you, but I was also, in, and still am, but we're unfortunately on pause because of COVID, the intake coordinator for Out of the Cold. So I would see some of the youth from Light Patrol would sometimes come to those suppers. They were on Monday nights, mm-hmm. but I would greet each person and I would try very hard to learn their names. And honestly, it was a God thing. And the same with when youth would come on the RV. It was so important to me to learn their names because they probably don't hear being called by the na- their their names other than their peers, right? Mm. They've lost contact with their family, but, but their name matters and it matters to God. And so having a face and a name. Um, and then sometimes after I had been on the RV with the outreach for the youth or after a Monday night at out of the cold, my, 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 my morning prayers, I would just close my eyes and be silent. And as, as those faces would come to my mind and I could put their names to it, I would just lift them up to God because God knows them intimately and knows their story, their backstory, their present story, their future story. And I really didn't, feel like I needed to form a whole lot of words to the prayer, just mm. as Paul said in Romans, just to groan for them. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. Um, can I ask you a hard question? You can ask me anything you like, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I agree with all you just said, and, I, and I've seen that. And yet, I, if mm-hmm. I'm honest, I'm, there are many people listening, and I've found myself in this place too, where you you see that you see the the darkness the despair the hopelessness mm-hmm. in some of these youth you see that many have mm-hmm. died or overdosed or mm-hmm. taken their own yeah. life or been totally rejected by their community um how yeah. how do you reconcile that with your faith in Jesus because many people do yeah. look at the work that you've done that we've been able to be a part of and they say that's great that you do that but like why does your god let this happen to these these kids Right, right. It's interesting that you should ask that because someone had asked me, had been had, had been talking about that very thing recently, Andrew, and I had to wrestle through it too. And and I've been thinking a lot about it and thinking, why do we point the finger at God? Because I really think we need to point the finger at ourselves, at humanity. I, I think so much of what we see of this brokenness is 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 the result of a broken world not of a holy god but like poverty and and um 
just the way the way our culture is where we're we're just so focused on ourselves rather on the other that I try and imagine what would the world be like if we had compassion if 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 we dug if we if we gave more of ourselves you know there's so much talk about food insecurity right now right mm-hmm. and it's like how does why would god allow a, a, someone to go hungry but then i've been looking andrew at the stories especially about food security of where jesus the two stories of the feeding of the the multiples the 5000 and the 4000 mm-hmm. and both times Jesus already knows what he's going to do, but he invites the disciples to participate. It was like they came to Jesus and they said, send these people away. It's, it's, it's getting late and they're going to be hungry, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's often what we do. Like, it's not my problem, just, you know, whatever. And then Jesus says to them, you feed them. And they're like... <laughs> We don't have what it takes. We like that's, and then they start doing the math. Okay, that's going to cost us our whole year's wages, right? Mm-hmm. And then they bring what they have, which is, remind me, Andrew. I think it's it's five loaves and two fish with the first one or something. It, they're both times it, yeah. it's bread and and, and fish. And fish. Yeah. And and Jesus and Jesus gives the disciples the instructions, and they follow through the instructions. And not only is there enough, there's more than enough. There's leftovers. And I've been reading that story over and over in light of this very question and thinking. We don't have. There's no reason to have food insecurity in the world, and it's 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 a human. It's a human error that we do. I feel. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense here? Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Can I just push you a bit further on that? You know, because for many yeah, people, this yeah. is this is actually a very significant point. This is for many a tipping point. They say, I, I love the stories of Jesus. And yet, man, the suffering that I see around me in this city, mm-hmm. in this world, this year with COVID, yeah. you know, that the, yeah, just the reality of, of death and mental health and family breakdown. Um, yeah. It's hard, you know, it's uh, suffering is a hard topic to reconcile with our faith in Jesus sometimes. Uh, at least I feel that it, way. It, yeah. Yeah. I feel that way too, Andrew. And, and as we move through this season of Lent, one of the things I, I, I've been focusing on is Jesus' own suffering when he took on our flesh mm-hmm. and became flesh himself. And man, he suffered so much in every way. Um, suffered hunger, suffered being rejected by people, even homelessness. He said that the son of man had nowhere to put his head. Mm -hmm. He didn't really have a home. He had family issues. His family thought he was crazy and wanted to put him away. His own disciples ran away from him. Peter said, I'll never deny you did. And then, and then Judas betrays him for, for money. And then all that time too, he's got the high religious hierarchy after him, mocking him, trying to plot to kill him. There's just, he injured so much suffering. And then the ultimate suffering, of course, was on the cross for us. Um, And he says, in this world, we're going to suffer and take heart. I've overcome the world. So yeah, there's suffering. and 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 I just believe that with every suffering that a human being endures, Jesus feels that just mm-hmm. as much if not more and can relate because he suffered in 
in every way conceivable. Mm. There's a real tension, isn't there? Because it's, I mean, it's probably a question that I'll wrestle with for the rest of my life. And yet, Mm -hmm. as I reflect on the times I feel closest to God, it is with Mm -hmm. the poor. It is with people who are in such a desperate place. And and I'm not Mm -hmm. making light of their suffering for my, you know, experience, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm saying I actually feel God present there. I feel like if Jesus is anywhere, he's there in the midst of their brokenness. And it's still confusing because then you say, why, well, why doesn't he just fix Mm. it all? Um, And I don't know. I don't know. And yet I believe with all my heart that as we serve, as we, as we extend a a sandwich, some soup, a a blanket, a place of peace of rest for a few minutes on the RV out of the cold Mm -hmm. that, that God is there. And, and actually we learn in scripture that he is very much there. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it's this tension of. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. And showing God's love. And, and, you know, from you talk about suffering, Andrew. So I shared with you about my teenagers. I, I went through another season of great, great suffering where um, there was, my, my mother was dying of, of cancer and having family troubles. And it was probably the, the, the darkest time in my life. And yet what you said about, when we're, you know, with the present, with the people who are suffering, that Jesus is present. It's it's those times where I really sense Jesus is, is very near to me. And I don't believe he's not near to me at all times, but I just think we're looking harder for him in our suffering, right? When everything's good, we think we can just go along on our own merry way, but it's those dark times where, well, either we walk away or we, we reach up, reach up to him. Mm. Um, so yeah anything else to share about life patrol your experience there people that are still on your heart yeah yeah and i i I, you and i both know a dear sweet um, soul that has become like a daughter to me that i met through light patrol early on and and she was when we were out on patrol she was at the park and it was right after, do you remember that big, great big flood that, that Toronto and the GTA had where, yes. you know, there yeah, were snakes on the go train and all that kind of stuff? Well, yeah. this dear pers- person, she was at the park and, and we were there with the RV and, and she shared that she was living in a basement apartment, which of course had flooded and she had really, really bad um, bronchitis probably from the dampness and the flood. And then also her mattress was completely soaked through. So we started talking and I found out like myself, she's an artist, um, had graduated in graphic arts and she had been homeless for, for most of her formative years from age 13 on and had traveled across uh, North America and was such a strong, kind, gentle, creative person. And I just saw something very special in her. We, we, we tried to help with her immediate physical need uh, and brought a mattress to her. But as I got to know her more and more, um, we both had this heart to, uh, to use our creative gifts and our passion for art, which many of the youth also are very very creative people mm-hmm. either yes they are music yeah. or 
or arts and crafts and all kinds of things, poetry. So we started something and, and named it Illuminate. And Light Patrol was wonderfully supportive of the initiative. And I think it was Saturdays because you were you were our RV driver, right? That was <laughs> yes. They entrusted me to drive an RV through downtown Toronto. Yes. Oh, yes, that shows is their so face. Intimidating, yeah. intimidating. It's a <laughs> yes. big vehicle, and there are some small streets. Yes, and we we would go to those pockets, and we had cards that we had printed out with her own artwork on the card saying illuminate and this is where we will be on Saturdays. And she was very faithful in follow in, in coming and, and she could help me because I could, she, she helped me understand where the youth were coming from because she'd been there herself Mm -hmm. um, and how, how to care for them, how to meet their needs. And she was also very good at, being relational with them and sharing what we knew about art and sharing our art supplies, which is also a challenge on an RV in Toronto when it's winter time, because the, the RV would sit in the parking lot and the, the paints would, <laughs> would freeze or yeah, whatever yeah. and the glue. But uh, yeah, youth were coming, but it was, it was tricky as you remember, right? Taking it out, setting it up, finding the people and of course you can't just sort of take off in the rv with all the art supplies rolling around so we pack up and then move to our next place and so then we partnered with um, a local church that had been very supportive and partnering with with light patrol they had offered barbecues and things like that and they offered up their space so that we could actually have a physical space where we could keep our supplies and i believe it was wednesdays yeah, right around the time that you and I are meeting right now, that we would gather and I would make a meal and she, and and my friend that I had met through, at the park continued to partner with me in that. And we also uh, were together in the um, the mentorship. What was that called? It was like a mentorship program, mm-hmm. right? I, where, rem- I remember what you're you talking about. Yeah. Youth and a, yeah. There was a word for it now. I'm sorry. Matt, I don't I don't I remember it either. Forget. Yeah. I can't remember there were Christmas parties and other events yeah. we did together yeah. and barbecues. And so when I geographically, because I'm not in Toronto all the time anymore, it became more and more difficult to continue. And what we were we weren't seeing as many youth coming forward and it wasn't particularly, again, it's the same challenge and why the RV works so well going, being mobile, the youth weren't coming to a building. So, Mm -hmm. so God, I believe God punctuates things. There's a season for everything. Like it says in Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. So he punctuated that, but he did not punctuate the relationship with my friend. Um, who, like I said, is like a, a daughter to me. And um, she is doing so well, thriving, and is the most, has a, has a toddler now, and is the most wonderful mother. And mm. we continue to talk almost every day. So I'm so thankful for that, that lasting friendship, relationship that we have together that started through Light Patrol. And I hope, my, my hope is to, well, she knows I love her. But I also want her to know that God loves her, and I think she does know that. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
one more question around Life Patrol. Um, mm -hmm. I, well, I guess this could be in a larger context too, but it, you know, down the road, maybe someone will listen to this podcast and, and they might find themselves in a desperate place like you were as a young person or like mm -hmm. a lot of the friends that we've met at Life Patrol. Uh, maybe they'll tune mm -hmm. in and hear this and, and be intrigued listening to someone like yourself. What would you mm -hmm. want them to know? Well, certainly if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts and being in that dark tunnel like I was, um, hold on because there is light at the tunnel and you won't stay there. It does get better. And I am now a mother to two beautiful adult children and I have the most adorable little granddaughter, 10 months old. And I, I have to say, Andrew, that I still sometimes shudder and give a thank you to God that uh, he protected me and I did not take my life. And I know when you're going through those, those suicidal thoughts or where you just don't want to live anymore because life is too hard, um, that it is worth it to, to keep going. And I didn't get the help and support I needed from my parents. My, unfortunately, my mother didn't want to take it past my family doctor who wasn't prescribing me the right medication. So there's something to be said to, to reaching out to, for help. And so, yeah, just to keep going because life is beautiful and, and, and it, it, it's worth it to hang on. And those early years are tough years, but I think two of my my beautiful friend that I just shared about, I mean, her teen years were just about as hard as they get. And yet now she has this beautiful little boy and life is good for her. And she has certainly risen above her circumstances. But I would also say we need to be supporting and loving and helping um, the, the youth and particularly the youth that, that don't have a home. And need to find more ways to serve youth in that capacity. Yeah. Thanks, Anna. And I, I can put in the show notes just a phone number for a helpline too, if anyone's listening. And that would, okay. if that's where you're at, that you could call that number and find some people who can really help and support you. Um, and mm -hmm. and also, Hannah, just as you're talking about supporting youth, you know, if there's parents listening or adults or others in, in, involved, you know, not everyone can volunteer in Life Patrol, not everyone can do work with homeless youth. And yet, just, I think what you're getting at is the value of kindness and love to, to youth mm -hmm. in your own lives, whether it's your, your own children or uh, family or, or trusted friends, that, that people can even there have a real positive impact. Yeah, Andrew, if, if I could share, I told you I wanted to bring my Bible because my friend, she that we worked together in Illuminate with, early on for my birthday, we share the same birth date, which is cool. Oh, too. that's There's right! This, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really have, cool. We have we have such totally different upbringings, and yet there are so many things that we we have in common. Hmm. And and she did these beautiful, colorful with pencil crayon creative notes in her artistic style that I've glued in my Bible, in the back of my Bible, because they encourage me and they always 
remind me of being true to who I am and true true to to who I am in Christ. So often I know people and I know homeless youth and, and you've probably encountered this too with Light Patrol. They may have had a religious upbringing. I know and out of the cold too, there are people who've had religious upbringings, but they haven't necessarily been in a loving, nurturing way. It's sort of been more thumping a Bible over your head or or warning you uh, if you don't do this and and of an angry God and and I try so hard in my own walk to to love as Christ loves but also to show them that and and not to judge and that's the other thing I think a lot of homeless youth will feel ju- or even not even homeless youth but that's who we're talking about mm-hmm. will feel ju- will feel judged and I know light patrol that was not how it was. We we showed God's love, and we showed God's love to the person in front of us. You can't, we can't fix this problem in a broad scope, but we can be relational, one on one, showing God's love to to uh, to our friends. And and so, if I may share what she wrote here, and I'm not sharing to toot my horn, I'm sharing because this is what she said is how I want to live, uh, mm-hmm. continue to live. And and so she wrote, Hannah, what do I say to my new true blue friend? Because this was early on in our relationship. This is when we were with you, Andrew, doing the um, Illuminate together. Mm-hmm. First, you are amazing. I've met a lot of people who say they are out there helping people. I don't know anyone who is so sincere and so genuine, not a phony bone in your body. And I'm experienced with phonies. That's the other thing um uh, I'm sure you saw that too. They're, they have great wisdom and discernment. Mm-hmm. The people who have experienced survival in these really harsh environments are extremely discerning of people and can see deep into a person and mm-hmm. and see what they're made of. Mm-hmm. We joke and say you're a modern Mother Teresa. Well, I'm very humbled by that. <laughs> I don't know about that, but but you are so good to so many people. I'm so grateful for everything you've done for me. I love how down to earth you are and wish that more carried your traits. You're the real deal. You the best. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's she couldn't have given she didn't have any money to give me a present, but this was the best present she could possibly give me. Mm-hmm. That's encouraging, Hannah. It is the, the love that you show in the day-to-day experiences like this that make a difference clearly in people's lives. And you're you're right to say, you know, especially a lot of those youth and, and any youth listening, although they're younger, they do have, they can detect the fake, right? They can detect the, well, there's another word for it, but I won't say it, <laughs> you know, but they can see through it. And, and it's yes. not that we have to, forgo all formalities or systems but there's something about mm-hmm. pausing like jesus would pause just to sit and be with people and to listen and to be compassionate and and to understand their story like it, it, that makes me think of numerous times in the bible where the pharisees would bring you know someone or they would bring some point of mm-hmm. or, or argument or they'd accuse someone and it wasn't like mm-hmm. Jesus was denying that fact, but he also was asking them to check their own hearts. And he would 
and he right. would just deal with it so graciously. Uh, the woman, yeah. you know, who's caught in adultery, yeah. that, that story that you shared before, it's, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. And I, mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. I, it's funny you, you read that. I've never heard what she wrote before. When I was thinking, of, <laughs> when I was coming up with some notes for this podcast, our interview with you today, and trying to describe mm-hmm. you, the, the, honestly, the idea of like that Mother Teresa came to mind. And, and I know that you, what you're saying, it, it's, we don't need to compare it to anyone, but I really do. I really appreciate and I've seen in you a heart mm-hmm. for the broken. I think that is God's heart to not just mm-hmm. sit and pray, although praying is significant. And you do pray, but also then to go in obedience mm-hmm. and to share kindness and love and mm-hmm. to be a light to people um, mm-hmm. and, and to mm-hmm. go into the darkness. That is, I believe, what Jesus mm-hmm. would call us to do. Yeah, I mean, he's our he's our model. He's our role model. I mean, you can't go wrong if, like you said, you look at his stories and how he responded to people. I mean... You can't go wrong if you respond in the same way that he responds. And mm-hmm. it's always like, like you say, listening and learning and, and loving. and Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, we're almost done for today. But I did want to mm-hmm. ask, in, in addition to that, and that's obviously such a significant part of who you are and your life story. Are there mm-hmm. other ways where you really see... God at work in your life or where you might say you feel close to God in addition to working and, and uh, just journeying alongside those who are hurting? I would say, you know, I, 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 I struggled with infertility um, and I'll try and make this really short, but um, no, and, and in that yeah. time, well, in those seven years, I'd had three miscarriages. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I, I did a cross stitch that said prayer changes things. And the other, the other thing that I, I clearly identify with is, is being an intercessor and, and, and praying. And, and, and there are things that we can't change. And certainly, like we've been sharing about some of these situations that look so dire for our, our homeless friends to pray into because we can't, we can't bring about the change. But it's such a mystery to me that God invites us into prayer. And, and he says, you know, you don't have because you don't ask. And I'm not talking about asking for a new car or stuff, but I believe we can, for whatever reason, God has chosen that to be the agent through which he works. It's, it, it's prayer. It, it, it mm. It's the whole, it's the Trinity working with us, us in, in the Trinity as, as through the, through Jesus and what he's done for us, we have, we can come before that throne of grace. But I believe if we're really, really honest with ourselves and genuine with ourselves and allow God's spirit to pray rather than kind of what Hannah wants, but what, what does God want in this? Mm. And, I have found God to be faithful and true over and over. And, you know, that's the other tough question. You talked about the tough question about suffering. The other tough question we ask, if we're honest with ourselves, is why doesn't God answer those prayers? Yeah. I I mean, it's happened in my life 
why did he allow so-and-so to die with cancer? When we prayed, we had prayer vigils. And even even the director of Light Patrol, if you remember his wife mm-hmm. passing away from cancer, and, and there was so much prayer around that. And, and that could be a whole podcast in itself, and I don't think we would find the answer. But we still pray in faith, and and I'm now in my 60s, and there have been things I've been praying for Andrew for decades, crying out to God. And sometimes they're nothing more than just have mercy. Mm-hmm. And I'm slowly but surely seeing those prayers answered. And I know some prayers I have may not be even answered in my own lifetime. Um, but I just still really see the power of prayer, but not just for the sake of asking that it's in that daily time immersing myself with God in prayer and in his word you you need to know his word it, it, it yes we're the hands and feet of Jesus but we need to know who Jesus was and we need to understand mm. at that level um what we believe uh, and the bible gives us that so spending time um just soaking in God's word and 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 prayer and and allowing him to transform me through his word and through prayer that that to me uh, in especially in this gift of this most people would say it's a gift but during covid i think we have had an opportunity to pause a bit to slow down and we can't go out we can't go anywhere but he is still with us and it's a it's a it's a good time to be able to sort of humble ourselves and pray Mm-hmm. You mentioned the, the idea of inter, interceding or intercessory prayer. For those that are listening that don't right. know what that is, what, what, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah, so um, it, it's, it's basically, I mean, I think anyone who, who identifies as a follower of Jesus Christ it, is an intercessor. Um, I think some people may be called deeper level. There are even, you know, some people within like I'm thinking even nuns right who are cloistered and and that's all they do is is pray for people but intercessory prayer is just presenting needs as 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 they're identified it could be someone who's dealing with illness I've certainly been doing a lot of intercessory prayer over this whole COVID issue with a group of other praying people because Jesus says where two or more gathered I'm I'm there also so I think there's power in, in praying together too and we've been doing it through zoom so i think it's basically just acting as an agent here on earth for god's kingdom to come and however that looks mm-hmm. um, was there anything else mm-hmm. today that was on your heart that you were hoping i would ask you about jesus or your life i think we've we've pretty much touched it all andrew Mm-hmm. Well, no, probably not, but <laughs> the things that are are most key to me. I think that's a good place to stop then. Thank you so much, Hannah, for sharing and inspiring us today. This has been really incredible. I hope people are encouraged by this as well. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. It's... And thank you for everything that you do. I continue to pray for you and uh, for Stephanie and your children. Thank you. Yeah, we need the prayers for sure. So I, I, <laughs> We I, all do. We do. We do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate this, Hannah. Thank you so much. And I would definitely You're love so to welcome, have you back Andrew. again another time. 
Okay, I would love to come back. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. Bye, Hannah.